Welcome to Real Talk Intervention, episode 12. So instead of helping those kids get to the point of capability, we're saying, it's okay, you don't have to meet that requirement. I'm your host, Sarah Underbrink, here as usual with my co-host, Stephanie Garcia. So it's April, which means a lot of things. It's spring and it's flowers and it's also a bunch of tornadoes. And the hail. But mostly it means hail. Uh, Last night oh, yeah, was good, a lot of hail. good hail. All your, your insurance premiums will go up. But, you know, mostly it means assessment and graduation season here at the high school level. Spring is 100% a mad season around here. And since these are all high stakes tests that impact whether or not students can graduate, we've got kids scrambling right up to the end to find out, frankly, if they're going to graduate or not. That's a huge issue. We have kids who have taken their final test and they don't usually get those scores back until literally a few days before they're supposed to walk across the stage. So they don't even know when they buy their cap and gown if they're going to be able to use it. And so in episode 11, our last episode, we asked teachers one crucial question, why are you doing that? And so we decided that we were going to continue asking that question for the month of April. And we're going to ask the government of the state of Texas, why are you doing that? Yeah, like, why do you have state bill number 127 that allows for open carry at school board meetings? That seems oddly why is, specific. Why is that a thing? Especially, <laughs> I mean, if, if you think about it, so here's here's what they're saying there. The House bill by Dan Huberty says that he's going to file, he's filed a bill to allow open carry by superintendents and school board members at school district board meetings. <sighs> Are there a lot of shootouts at, at school board meetings? I've only been to a couple, so I'm not really well, sure no. what the problem is. No, there is. aren't. There aren't. But we need That's them. the problem. There aren't That's a the lot of shootouts. That's the issue that we have to address, yeah. is we have to That's make sure. We need so I can be sitting there, and I say, I've got something I'd like the school board to talk about. And they pull out their AK and say, do you? Do you have something? Because I think it's 830 and we want to go home. <sighs> Those school board meetings do go really long, to be fair. Why to be fair. are you doing this? So, I mean... While we could actually spend an entire episode just dedicated to the most ridiculous things that we see happening (laughs) at the government level in Texas, we're not going to do that because we're going to focus more on the actual horrifying, scary things that are happening that are actually coming to impact us and our students. We're going to focus on right now a very life-changing bill that came in in 2015 for high school graduates, which was State Bill 149. State Bill 149 was a response to the large amounts of students who were failing the uh, the EOC, the end of course star tests that were coming out. And because of this failure, they were not being able to graduate, not even just on time, but they were just not able to graduate. So State Bill 149 created something called an Independent Graduation Committee. It's called a... Stephanie, tell us about it, that. It's called a... Uh, individual. Individual, yeah. Okay, so the Individual okay. Graduation Committee... This is a committee of counselors, principals, parents, students, teachers of the subject they failed. And they are supposed to get together and determine from a preponderance of evidence their grades. They are looking at their other assessments like their SAT tests and their uh, ACT tests. The IGC can look at their attendance, can look at What we're doing in our district, which is a project that every student is going to be taking. And this project and 
the committee's decision is supposed to override the the test score or use it as a replacement for that test score. So this this provision, this IGC provision, is set to expire September 1st, 2017. So this was meant to be a stopgap measure that would only exist for those students who, you know, the tax system was a lot less rigorous than the STAR system. And so it was kind of this idea that things were a little unfair for this particular cohort of students. So now all of our students are obviously receiving really high quality instruction. This supposed to expire September 1st, 2017. There have been bills introduced that remove that expiration and allow this IGC process to continue on indefinitely. And, you know, I think a lot of people really like this idea because we want to say that a student's entire future should not be determined by the results of one test. That isn't what's happening, but you do hear... Oh, wait, no? You you hear a lot about that. (laughs) There... So this doesn't really address that. First of all, you have to pass three of those tests, and you can. There's th- there's five tests total. There's English one, English two, algebra, biology, and U.S. history, and you have to pass three of those tests. So it doesn't even. Do so that. our entire future is determined by three tests. Yes. Three tests to determine your whole future. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, right, right. the kids have multiple attempts over multiple years to do these tests to get intervention. Oh, so oh, if they start okay. taking them okay. mostly as freshmen, they take three as a freshman, one as a sophomore, one as a junior. By that point, almost all of them have graduated. We're down to single digits at this point if they're seniors. So this, this actually does not affect many kids. You know, you were having struggles as you were trying to describe what exactly the IGC committee looks at yeah. to determine a student's eligibility for graduation. And I think that is the key point to make here. The IGC, well, okay, instead of using the results of this standardized test that has been validated um, and that has been validated and has been looked at by multiple experts and that the vast majority of our students can pass within one or two tries, instead of looking at that tool, we're going to leave this open to nebulous decision making from a committee of people, principals, counselors, teachers, and the state basically says, yeah, just uh, look at them and, and you decide. What's really scary about that is that it's returned back to the stakeholders that have a vested interest exactly. in making sure that they pass. Mm-hmm. So, Exactly. It, <laughs> and by the way, we're going to penalize you yeah. if they don't if graduate. You don't just by graduate the way, but you them, decide. Yeah. You're going to get yeah. dinged on your AYB. So... <sighs> Uh, you're definitely the right people to determine whether or not a student is ready to graduate or not. Right. So it's it's an ethical it's it's a it's a situation that educators should not be placed in. It's not a fair situation to place yeah. educators in. Making us accountable for especially at the high school level, you're making me if I'm the teacher in that IGC, you're making me accountable for the last 10, 11 years right. of that student's academic life. And there's actually pressure on the committee because they have to be 100% unanimous. So if one teacher objects to this whole process, they have to face the wrath of the rest of the committee. It's really not my fault at the high school level that a student comes to me and they are reading at a third grade level. 
that's not my fault. I didn't do that. But I'm the one holding the bag. And I'm the one who's now you're looking at me and saying, oh, you're letting one test determine this child's entire future. No, I'm not. No, you're not getting sent to the Hunger Games if you didn't pass the English to EOC. (laughs) Just throw him away. Throw away. He's all done. He passed and failed it one time. He's done. (laughs) Yeah, it's over now. And this is you. And are you going to stand in that student's way? Well, no, I'm obviously not going to stand in that student's way. But what I am going to stand in the way of is a system that has allowed a student to reach the 12th grade at a third grade reading level. And now there is, it looks as if this one test is the only thing standing in that student's way. But in actuality, it's a 12 year systemic failure standing in that student's way. I want to give you a quick story. Uh, We had, we had a few IGC kids uh, last year and all but one of them passed by the committee. So the issue we had with that kiddo was he continued to plagiarize on the IGC project numerous times and no matter how many times I explained what he was doing and and showed him how to not do that he continued he persisted and it came to me I was the one who had to say his project doesn't meet requirements and he did not graduate and it was in a way that was that was on me but is it on me no he he barely spoke english and he was required to take these tests with no ability to to understand the content he was he was put into a a no-win situation and i i appreciate the igc for those esl students i really do I, i i absolutely do for those few exceptions i don't want to be put into the position where i am making a determination like that because it seems so big your example shows what the state of Texas has got here is they have got a subsection of the Texas population of students who really do need a system like this. They are good students. They are maybe the special education, they're LEP, they're dyslexic, and they really, no matter how many accommodations we give them, no matter how much we work with them, then they are going to deserve to graduate high school, but they're not going to be able to pass these standardized tests. So they do have a very small subsection of students. Teeny tiny, teeny tiny. Very small. But what they're doing is they're creating this gigantic band-aid that just covers up everybody doesn't fix any of the problems that are in place that are leading to this small subsection of students who are being disenfranchised by this system instead of fixing those holes they're creating this giant band-aid that just allows us to fall into this moral and ethical quandary that absolutely benefits nobody it's not benefiting the students who are uh, become aware of this system and are now like sweet don't have to pass your tests don't care not going to learn. It doesn't benefit the schools who lose a little bit of their um, incentive to fight extra hard for those extra special kids that need that extra care. And it puts teachers in a very uncomfortable situation. So I don't understand why we need to create more systems on top of already broken systems. So Sarah, one thing I wanted to point out, and I literally, when I was doing the research for this, I just found this uh, today and I, I let my administrator know what what I'm looking at but apparently the state of Texas thinks that we can substitute the Texas success initiative test that all students are taking to get into state schools for their EOC English 2 and their algebra EOC 
And I think it's hilarious when they mention TSI tests, SAT tests, ACT tests as substitutes when we all know that, I'm, I'm sorry, if you can't pass the STAR test, what are you going to do on the mm -hmm. SAT? I don't know if any mm -hmm. students that I'm working with have got a good score on any three of those tests and not pass the STAR test. I, I don't that student doesn't exist. Who Who is that student? Have you met that student, Sarah? I uh, haven't met that student yet, but I'm sure um, our listeners would love to write us in and let us know if they exist. I would love, love to hear, to hear this that. anecdote because I cannot think of a single kiddo that I've worked with that meets these requirements. It's kind of like they're trying to say that the star is somehow more difficult than these tests or that... Laughable. And this is what's so funny, too. You have you have people say, oh, well, they don't do well on state tests. So why are you allowing these other tests to substitute for them if they don't do good on a standardized test? Why? Are you saying there's something hypocritical? Why? Are you saying there's something hypocritical in our government? I don't know if it's hypocritical or ironic. I don't know what I'm dealing with yeah. at this point, but I just know that it's not, it, it's beating reality in the face. <laughs> And what really scares me is it also hurts the businesses in our communities. Our businesses are depending Absolutely. on us putting out people who are capable enough to do the work that they need to be able to do. So instead of helping those kids get to the point of capability, we're saying, it's okay, you don't have to meet that requirement. And then they go out with the same diploma as the kids who worked their tails off and passed all mm -hmm. their tests and are ready. That, that kind of reflects back mm -hmm. on us as educators, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. And it puts such an undue burden on our kids because now they've got to go to college. As we make the high school diploma more and more and more worthless, we're just making the college diploma more and more just a necessity for life. So our kids who they don't need to be going to college, that's money they don't have. They don't need that for the jobs they want to get. But they're, how can an employer whittle through all of their applicants when they've started to realize that just because a person graduated from high school doesn't mean that they can read. It doesn't mean anything. That's what's happening. And that's what scares it me. Are we just actively yeah. devaluing the the diploma that we're handing out? Are we actively working against our long-term interests in order to fix our short-term problems? Precisely. So I want to bring up some of the things that people are constantly talking about when it comes to how to fix our system. And I think the one idea that continues to surface and surface and surface is this portfolio assessment idea where instead of these standardized tests, it becomes this idea of a portfolio. I'm not totally um, clear as to why we can't just have meaningful grades and meaningful assessments and meaningful standardized tests, why we have to come up with these committees that do things. But anyway, there's a bill in the House, which is Bill 989, and it is about uh, creating a pilot program where a couple of chosen districts would pilot graduating their students using the portfolio system. They would require them to take some sort of algebra and English 1 and English 2 standardized assessment, but that that assessment would only be worth 65% of the performance on the portfolio, and they can add additional um, assessments if the committee so desires. I would love to see the committee in a school district that would require students to take more 
of these EOCs. I don't, I don't have the numbers on this, but I know they do have EOCs for chemistry and physics and geometry and all of that. I wonder how many of those tests are administered every year. Nobody takes them. Another we test have, that we can Yeah, choose. we have English 3 as an option too, but, and we're one of the best districts in Texas, and we've opted out of that one because there's no benefit for yeah. it. Right, exactly. There's no benefit. You only, you only damage yourself. This is kind of one of the things that you especially hear from English teachers. All of my cohorts are all going to say the same thing. Oh, we need a portfolio. That that seems to be the number one thing. But what what's in a portfolio? Is it this is it the te- who's grading the portfolio? Who's who's doing the assessment of it? Is there a standard? How do you verify that the standard has been met? I mean, to me the whole idea of having standardized tests is so that you can compare schools and students and districts across the board and see how they're doing. And I don't I don't know how that works with a portfolio. I guess I just don't know enough about it. For me, the issue always comes down to the same thing, which is what exactly are we really accomplishing here at this at this public secondary level? And to me, it's kind of about basic standard skills. It's not about getting people to advanced degrees because I feel like we have master's programs and graduate programs and things like that that do that. So if we're just going for the basic skills that students need to have in order to participate in our society, I don't really understand why it's that difficult to measure those kinds of skills and why we need to have these, you know, really in-depth, you know, dissertation style analysis. Like that's how you get your dissertation. You, you, you put something together, you go in front of a committee, you take a standardized test, people discuss you in committee and then decide whether or not you're eligible to, to get your PhD, which is the highest educational honor in the land. That's just not where we're at. And our standardized tests are not testing at that level. And so, well, I mean, if we want to talk about using portfolios to go towards expanding this foundational versus advanced diploma options, which I think is a really great idea, the idea of having the certain foundational diploma for your minimum skills and then your advanced diploma for students who who dived in a little bit deeper to their skills. I think that is, is fine. But I think about having to go through portfolio evaluations for the you know three thousand students that makes on our campus. I, I just wanted to quit. Why would that? Yeah. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? And how could we do that with any sort of ethical, with any sort of integrity, or any sort of standardization, or any sort of fairness? It doesn't seem possible to me. I'm confused too. I mean, if we want to fix the issue right now, we we're limiting how many options we have for diplomas. Where I think we need to be expanding the options for diplomas. If we're saying that we don't think some kids can meet the standards that we have but we want to somehow get them to graduate with a recommended diploma anyways. Wouldn't a better option just to be come up, like some of the states, like I know Alabama has done this, where they have two different options of technical diplomas, and then they also have an honors college prep diploma. So possibly could we move towards that? And so to me, again, it feels like we're trying to slowly repair like some holes in the dam as opposed to rethinking whether or not the dam is doing what it needs to do. 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we do need to be, I mean, I know you're, you're as cognizant of this as I am. I mean, we do need to be very, very careful that we're not giving people diplomas that limit their options. I know that was a problem that we had with the, um, the old diploma system, where if you graduated with a minimum diploma, you couldn't be accepted to any college, you know, right off the bat. And so you had to go to junior colleges and things like that, which for a, a certain population of our students is fine. And that's a great choice for them. But, you know, I, I think we're all going to be uncomfortable if we start handing out diplomas that penalize students for decisions that they made when they were 14 and 15. And I do recognize that that as an issue. I don't know what I don't know what the fix is. I do know that continuing these IGCs seems to be I think it's more of just trying to hide what we don't want to look at. Well, I was going to say, I think here's the here's the, the piece I'm going to walk away from is this, as far as what the state does do well. I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, Stephanie, but did you know that the state does not penalize us if we graduate a student in four years, in five years, in six years, in seven years? That student counts as a graduate for us. They count as our cohort. So the state is encouraging us to continue to educate our students. So if you have a senior and that senior hasn't gotten there, to me, the incentive on the school is let's have that fifth year senior. Let's have that sixth year senior. Keep the kid coming back. The point is we want to educate that kid. The state is not going to penalize us for not doing that. And it's actually going to reward us, in my opinion, for doing that. So let's keep up with let's keep up with that practice. Now I know that they keep track of it. I've looked at the AYPs and they they count five year and four year graduates. So but they don't mm-hmm. they don't penalize for that. Mm-hmm. So No, it's not penalized. I think we I think there is a period, I think it's like a five a five year period that we have in order to graduate them, but yeah. I, I agree with that. So I've had several students, especially before the IGC was created, where they they've gotten their credits and that's that's what killed me with that kiddo last year too. Um, right. There's a there's a thing with the ESL students where you know it, it's very hard to fail anybody in SPED and ESL in a class because you know there's just there's just a lot of hoops to go through. So a lot of times students in ESL are going to get grades that aren't probably what they are. So we've had kids that have gotten right. you know credits where they don't know the material at all and that's the problem is that we've got all these kids with all these credits they have everything that they need and what do we do with them for that fifth year what classes do we put them in that's what we've run into in the past when i've said you know can we get this kid into this can we get this kid into this can we do this this and this no they've got their credits right yeah, it was just another reason, like you said, let's stop uh, let's stop plastering over the holes and let's start rebuilding the dam. Let's be honest with ourselves about what's going on with students. Let's be honest with ourselves about what's happening. The answer to this is not uh, taking ourselves away from high standards or taking ourselves away from being demanding of students. But, you know, last year I can say that the kids that we graduated had some okay projects, but... Do I think that they were ready to go out into the world and have a job and go to college? Absolutely not. And that's what kind of haunts me that I was that I am and I will continue to be because I'm I'm part of these committees. Um, it's almost always English. <laughs> it's almost always English yeah. that they're not passing, so it's always me. And I'm going to be a part of making these decisions for these kids that'll affect their lives. 
And if I choose one way, then they go out into the world and they're not prepared for it. And if I go another way, they don't go out in the world with a diploma and mm -hmm. they can't get a job. So either way, I'm ruining right. them. And there's just, I just feel like I'm kind of like this Sophie's choice of what do I do at this point? I don't know what I should do. Should I, should I go ahead and send them on their way and hope that they go to community college after they get out of high school? Is that going to be what they do? I don't know. I don't know what they've done. I, I don't know. I, I hope, I hope, and, and that's, that's what's sad, I can't know. I hope that they're going to make it out there with at least having that diploma in their hands. But I would much rather see these kids stay in school until they can master the minimum. And again, the minimum standard on these tests. So, you know, what I hear from this now, we started out saying these IGCs are a response to this idea that one test determines a whole child's entire future and then it becomes one teacher and that teacher is stephanie garcia Aww, determines a child's entire that. future so what we have to say to you the state of texas is why are you doing why that? are you doing that why are you giving us a strict series of standards that we have to teach and a standardized test that we have to have students achieve to graduate? And then why are you allowing us to completely disregard that and make decisions willy-nilly on however we feel like we want to do and putting our teachers in this position? Texas, why are you doing that? Stop. Stop it. <sighs> okay, so... That's April. April is is a, is a testing month. April is a stressful month. So next month in May on Real Talk Intervention, we are focusing our month on happiness. May is a happy month. Your tests are over. No more telpas. No more star. No more nothing. You're about to get out for the summer. You're going to have at least two days off during Woo, the summer. So you've two got days those off. Too. <laughs> everybody's just in a good mood. We're finishing out the year. So May is the happiness month. And so we're going to spend the month of May talking about how to be a happier classroom teacher, how to be a happier instructional coach, how to be a happier administrator, sharing some of the, the things that we've learned from over a decade of working in some of those situations, some of the classroom situations that maybe are not the happiest. <laughs> we tend to deal with the situations that make teachers pretty unhappy on a relatively frequent basis. And I, I don't know, Stephanie, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Oh, yeah, I am. But I do want to say before we get to the happiness month, I want to finish out this whole April month where we're saying, why are we doing that? Do you ever wonder like why? <laughs> this is a stupid question, but do you ever wonder why why you do what you do? Or like, I sometimes wonder why am I doing this to myself? Uh, yeah, I, I frequently wonder why you do the things that you do. Oh so my. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's what we need to do. I mean, we've, we've pointed the finger at, you know, like teachers and we've looked at government and like, I want to look at, I want to do some little growth moments, kind of reflect on, yeah, why am I doing what I'm doing sometimes? It, 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 is, it is a great question. Why, why are you doing the things that, that, that you do? Okay. All right, Stephanie. I don't know do if that needs to be all me because oh. I've got some questions about you. Oh, I've got what? some questions. Me? about what you're doing. <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine what that could possibly be. I, I'm pretty sure I do everything perfectly. Well, I feel like uh, we're the kind of the odd couple in this kind of regard. We, we teach in such different ways, but with the same purpose and goals in mind and the way we approach things. Sometimes when, when I see you approach things, I'm just like, how is that a thing? 
how is that working? But then, I mean, it does. But And, and you probably are thinking the same thing about me. Because, Pretty much. Yeah, my methods are co- must look like madness to you at times. Pretty I think that would be a good, All right. I, that's a good conversation. Okay. I like it. All right, that's good. All right, sounds good. So to finish out April, to finish out our Why Are You Doing That uh, series, we're going to, to ask Real Talk Intervention, why are why are you doing that? I think why we need an episode that? of self-flagellation. What do you think? Excellent. All I right. think I'm on board for that. So <laughs> tune in for us at the end of the month for the Why Are You Doing That Real Talk Intervention version where we critically examine ourselves and our and our own practice. And if we can't do it, then we'll we'll do it for each other. I, I'm ready to critically examine your practice. <laughs> I'm Stephanie. sure you've been waiting for this for a decade. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's actually true. So please, please follow us. Um, Realtalkintervention.blogspot.com is where we're blogging. We are on iTunes and on Stitcher where you can subscribe to us and follow us on your podcast app. You can follow us on Facebook, Real Talk Intervention. We're always posting interesting things that catch our, our, our notice with education. And we are on Twitter at intervene number four real. Thank you and we'll see you next time. Oh, do I say something? No, I was just ending it there. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs>